0: start probably, I think it was very disappointing, he was with, with Paul the Apostle and with Barnabas and they were out on the very first missionary journey and uh, he he quit, he caved in and went home and then when he kind of was hoping for the next round to go out and Barnabas thought it would be a good idea, Paul refused, Paul said no way, we don't know the exact words but you can imagine uh, you know i don 't want that quitter going with me last time we depended on him, and he quit on us, but remember Mark did not he has a, He has a good story, a redemptive story because he didn 't just cave in on himself he he picked himself up and decided to serve the Lord, continue to serve the Lord. We know he uh, went to Rome and probably associated we know he associated with peter this the uh, church father 's papius records for us that he spent a lot of time with Peter and he was called Peter's interpreter. Um, I think maybe he was, you know, doing some translating while Peter was preaching. And he listened to Peter's sermons over and over again and Peter's stories. And so what we have here in the Gospel of Mark is uh, sort of the Gospel according to St. Peter uh, through, through the person of this guy named John Mark. Anyway, I want to pick up on the theme of the day, too, is the, this Psalm 14, 114 that was so wonderfully read uh, by, by Bennett. The trembling, it's only eight verses, it talks about the power of God that we should all call, come to him trembling. Uh, it's it's a call, it says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water. Why should we be fearful of God? He is the all-powerful God. And we should pay attention to what he has said. We just read also from the book of Revelation. We sang the Revelation song and just a couple of ideas here. This is Revelation 4, 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Uh, I'm a really strong believer in the God of the Bible, and the God of the Bible has told us about himself, and he's not actually waiting around for us to redefine him. He's defined himself very well. Uh, He's given us this big book all about himself, and uh, he holds us accountable for knowing that, actually. All people are held accountable uh, for the word of God, and Part of the genius of God is that he is the creator of everything, and, and that's how he can hold us to account. He created you. He made you. He made the earth. He made everything, and he did it with his power. He created all things. Some people say, well, I, I believe that God created it, but you know it, he probably worked through billions of years and through... A process that's called evolution. That seems to be the way it it worked because we have to trust that the scientists have proven that. Well, the Bible challenges that completely. There's no reason for that. We have a powerful God who creates, creates out of nothing. And he creates with his voice, which is, this is an amazing, beautiful, free, powerful being And uh, here, for example, is Psalm 33. Uh, Here, I'll put in, um, well, let me read a few of the words here. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. if If you're made righteous by the grace of God because of faith in Jesus Christ, you have no business being quiet you know about God. Uh the Bible says in another place let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're if you're purchased by the blood of Jesus, you should be ready to say something about it, right? Praise befits the upright and and I am only upright in Christ. Give thanks to the Lord with the liar. Now that's a stringed instrument, not not a politician. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre and a politician. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. It's saying, use stringed instruments, which we have done. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the Lord... For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Get this part now too. Verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible tell us how God created the world? Absolutely. By the word he spoke, and it came to be. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea in a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Our psalm for today, 114, tremble before him. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. Let me ask you, does the Bible say how he created? It absolutely does. Don't let anybody, no matter how slick or how many letters they have after their name, PhD, etc., tell you otherwise. The word of God clearly says that he spoke He spoke, and it came to be, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And and he spoke, this is verse 9. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Uh, So we come to Jesus now, which is he's the word of God, incarnate. It means he's the word of God in the flesh. He's the all-powerful God and and in his ministry in fact in you know in the very near future uh, Lord willing if, if I get to preach another sermon um, we'll be talking about his displays of power when he's on the earth and he does amazing I mean miracles you know just f- with nothing he just does these miracles fantastic but here he is on the earth and he last cu- couple of weeks ago we talked about how he enters. His own city, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He has to borrow a donkey. He's coming and it's a fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus purposefully fulfills Scripture over and over and over again. He said, I thirst to fulfill the Scripture. (laughs) He might have been thirsty, but that's not why he said it. He said it to fulfill the Scripture. There was a prophecy that said he would say that and that they would give him bitter uh, you know, bitter uh, vinegar, wine, stuff. So here he is, the fulfillment of God, and yet he's coming humbly, and he, he speaks, and people don't listen. Uh, it, it's a wonderful, glorious mystery that, that this all-powerful God comes in such a humble way that the most popular thing to do is to reject him. The most popular thing to do is to laugh at him, and to laugh at people who think this is a serious deal. That's the most popular thing to do. Uh, the po- most popular thing is to basically ignore him as much as we possibly can. So it's this glorious mystery. But the thing is, here it is. We we might, as believers, as those who've heard his word and have our our Brain open to this huge reality of this God who exists, who speaks worlds into existence. We may kind of think, "Wow, we wish He had come in power," and He will come in power, the Bible says. But but we all have to go back to the reality that He came in weakness to be submitted to the will of the Father, to be crushed, to go to the cross. To bear our sin. And, and this is God's beautiful plan of redemption. So in his weakness comes our salvation. See, So we, we celebrate his weakness, his willingness, his submission, and of course, his victory. May I say he is risen? He is risen indeed. He is risen you know, it works a week after Easter, too. <laughs> he is alive, and he is coming back uh, very, very soon. So, we have Jesus coming out now, and let's read the text. It's verse 14 through 20 of Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, that, I think there's a three point outline here. Good preachers have three point outlines. Saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants, and followed him. The Lord added his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, please, in your kindness and grace, speak to us, help us to be on that seashore, uh, to marvel at the words of Jesus, to hear the call deeply and profoundly. May it make our hearts tremble. And Lord, give us the grace we need to respond the way you want us to respond. Help us to immediately drop what we're doing and follow you, Lord, even if it comes to leaving our fathers. Lord, we pray for this strength today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Real quickly, I just want to point out some textual things that are you know, very interesting uh, before we work through uh, my sermon sermon outline. It says, now after John was arrested, who is this John? It's John the Baptist. And he's been arrested by Herodias, uh, Herod, I should say, and we'll talk about that later because in John, uh, Ma- Ma- excuse me, Mark 6, he talks all about that. We'll get to that later. Don't turn to it now. But it's kind of interesting because a little bit, right, we're going to meet Simon and Andrew. Well, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and Jesus had actually met these guys, Simon and Andrew, about a year before. Uh, And it was at that time, in fact, he gave Simon his new name, which we know as Peter. Again, this happened about a year before. It's conceivable that both Andrew and and Simon were followers, disciples of John the Baptist. We don't know. But it makes sense that if John the Baptist is thrown in a pit by the reigning uh, Roman authorities, uh, their leader's gone, so they go back to fishing. Uh, and they're out there on the lake. So it's also interesting because John will tell us that at this time, Jesus is, is, it's it's interesting because he's the all-sovereign, powerful God, he can do whatever he wants, and yet he submits himself to political powers and whims. To me, it's amazing because he's down in Judea and he's uh, preaching there, and Many people are getting baptized in his name. He doesn't baptize anybody. But people are being baptized under the ministry of Jesus in Judea. And already, very early on, this is like three years before the crucifixion, the Pharisees and the scribes, the powers that be in the religious establishment, notice him and they say, look, everybody's going after him. You know, John's gone and Jesus is getting real popular. So John, the author, says that that's why he went up north to avoid that political pressure. He doesn't want to get the people, the powers that be in Judea, which is Jerusalem, too upset about him yet. So he goes up to Judea, and he's up there ready to initiate his ministry and spend some good time in Judea. So with that, let's look at, at what, what's going on here. First of all, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, this is a very important Greek word. It's, it's the word keruso. It means to preach. And as I was preparing this, I, I was listening to the news, listening to how this is this, we just passed the 50-year uh, anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated. It was just this past week sometime. And if you think about his impact on American history, very important, very big, very important person in American history did a lot of very good things, but, you know, he was a Baptist preacher. Not a perfect man, but a Baptist preacher. And a lot of his lasting impact came through sermons, came through his preaching. Uh, You know, what's some of the best speeches in American history? I have a dream. And uh, several of his other speeches are amazing and wonderful, well worth our time to think about The power of preaching. This is this word. Uh, This is, there's the, I put the Greek word in English for you. It's keruso. Keruso is this Greek word. It's used, I think, nine times in the book of Mark. Remember, again, the text says, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. And it's the same word that you've, if you've been around my ministry much, you know that I like to go back to 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 4.12. 2 Timothy 4.12, which is this basic command, preach the word. What should elders do? They should preach the word. Same, keruso, to proclaim. So I did a little, little bit of research in my office. I have the world's best authority on on Greek words. It's a ten-volume dictionary. Uh, In theology, they just call it kittle. And uh, this is a little bit of what kittle, he has a big article on this word. Uh, It's it's the word for a, a herald, somebody who goes out into the street to proclaim some event, actually. He's, he's usually employed by the king. To, he's the newsboy, you know. Listen, listen! A big event is happening. You know, there's a banquet, and all the princesses are invited to the banquet. If you've read any kids' book, that seems to be a reoccurring thing. Um, it's a, a guy who makes his voice known, and so here's a few words on it. Russo does not mean. The delivery of a learned and edifying or hortatory discourse in well-chosen words with a pleasant voice. It is the declaration of an event. Its true sense is to proclaim. And there's a power in it. Remember I said that God created the earth with his voice. He commanded and it stood firm. You could almost say God preached the world into existence. Uh, God has all power, and he uses his voice to create. And there's an amazing miracle that occurs in Christian preaching that God uses it to bring people life. Uh, And this is, uh, again, Kittle saying, the decisive thing is the action the proclamation itself, for it accomplishes that which was expected by the Old Testament prophets. The divine intervention takes place through the proclamation. Hence, the proclamation itself is the new thing. Through it, the kingdom of God comes. And I think that this is important for us to just note here. Jesus has method, partly, was to preach, to proclaim. And in some ways, you could say it seems to be more of a dying art in in America, but it is something important to observe. Preach the word. Proclaim the great message. And Jesus has this fantastic, beautiful message to proclaim. God does his work through preaching. Let's ask the question. uh, Americans are utilitarian. You know, by nature, our biggest question is: Does it work? You know, what is this thing? Well, does it work? You know, <laughs> uh, it's a good thing if it works, right? Amen. Um, it doesn't have to be beautiful as long as it does its job, right? Well, you might ask that about preaching: Does it work? Well, let's let's just be real critical and real honest here. Um, Jesus preached for about three years. And the end of it, they crucified him. And he had about 120 followers. After preaching to thousands and thousands of people. You might say, well, hey, Jesus, uh, that method didn't seem to work too well. Here's the genius, though. It does God's work. It does the work that God intends to do in people. And in the long run, it accomplishes the work that God wants it to accomplish. So in other words, we don't preach because we think it's necessarily the most effective way to reach people. We preach because God told us to. And we trust that as we preach the word of God, he will work in his way. And I know a lot of you do pray every week. And do remember to pray every week if you we're We're on the television five times a week. This same sermon uh, will show up in a few months on the cable television all throughout Monterey County. I've had people come out of the jail and they say, "I was watching you preaching in jail." Uh, I met a lady at the sunrise service uh, she said, "I feel like we're." Oh, what did she say? Like, uh, like we're really close. You know, She said, we're really close. I said, okay, I've never met you before. <laughs> what is it? She's been watching my sermons for years. Uh, so again, little known fact, be praying for that. Uh, it's something that God is using. It's, it's a little bit like a soapbox, a little soapbox in today's modern um, commerce area. So here we have Jesus proclaiming, and and he has, I'm not trying to read this in here, but there seems to be a three-point outline. The the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and the response is, repent and believe in the gospel. We've defined gospel before, in verse 14 it says, he's proclaiming the gospel of God. It is the good news. Let's talk about the first point here. First, the the time is now. The time. What Jesus is saying is, we're going through a, a really big transition in God's timetable of how things work. Uh, the best way to understand John the Baptist is he's the last Old Testament prophet. He's the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. He's been thrown in jail, and we know how that ends unfortunately, and, and some time after he's thrown in jail. He, he never sees the light of day again. But Jesus is proclaiming a new thing. There's this much more immediacy. It's it's uh, what's the word? Available now. Before it's this layers and layers and layers. There's, I think, 613 commands in the law of Moses. Or, and if you want to summarize them, there's the Ten Commandments. You know, and the, the message of all of that, honestly, is you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. You cannot keep the 613 commandments. The result of it is we have all sinned and we need help. We need salvation. It pushes us to the need. And now Jesus stands up. The time is fulfilled. Now we proclaim the awesome good news that salvation comes by faith. Repent and believe in the gospel. Put your full confidence in the gospel of God. There's this a uh, feeling of opportunity here. It's a proclamation. Anybody can come. It's an opportunity. The time is now. This, this call is powerful. Don't miss this opportunity. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe. Here is uh, Paul. It's interesting. A lot of his whole ministry was shaped by these same concepts, of course. But here he says in Second Corinthians 6, he says, working together with him, speaking of Christ, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As we have an opportunity to hear the gospel, it's always urgent. It's now you have an opportunity to respond, saying, yes, Jesus, I need you, Jesus. And as we have an opportunity to present the gospel to people, it's it's a sense of urgency. You have an opportunity now. I have no idea what will happen tomorrow. I have no idea what will happen the next day. Now is the time. The kingdom is here, Jesus says The time is fulfilled and it is time to make a choice. There's there's an excitement about that. This is salvation. And and now he says the kingdom is here. Come to God's kingdom. That's, That's the feeling. And you come through the third point. Come in through repentance and faith. Again, the exact words of Jesus up in verse 14 and 15. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does he mean by kingdom of God is at hand? That's a good question. And quite honestly, it, it's worth thinking about deeply and long and a long time. Because it's not a simple thing. Um, I have a new commentary to me by Robert Stein from the Baker uh, exegetical commentary on the New Testament. And they have a great comment on this on the kingdom of god it says this in mark 115 it must be interpreted dynamically for it is not the territory like this is the kingdom of god this territory no it's not that as a geographical place that has arrived but but the rule of god understand understood in this manner the references emphasizing the arrival of the kingdom of God can be seen as indicating that in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the kingdom of God has arrived in the ministry of Jesus. The reign of God has come. Not like the reign we had over the weekend. Right? This is the, the other reign. The, the rule of God has come. The Spirit is coming soon upon all believers. Yet, the ultimate consummation of all things awaits, the return of the Son of Man, so that believers continue to pray, your kingdom come. Thus, the kingdom of God is both already, but not yet. So that's exactly where we live. This is actually super exciting, and none of you look very excited, so you know it's okay. It's okay, I understand. But this is super exciting because what Jesus is saying to you and I is we, if you're a believer, you've moved into a new kingdom. There's this whole invisible kingdom which is the reign of God. And we're the people who are who, supposed to know about God and trust Him more. And, and we sing songs like, Lord, please reign in us and have your dominion over us. We want to we be your servants and we're in your kingdom And this was huge for the people in the New Testament time because, honestly, being under the oppression of Rome was horrible. Rome was capricious, powerful, and brutal. We just celebrated the crucifixion of Christ, which is their form of execution. They they had the absolute freedom, and they did this to Christians, you know, to to take you out. By the way, I... I know it's a silly little thing, but the Bible never says Calvary is a hill. It doesn't say that. In fact, the Roman tradition is to crucify people in a very public place right beside the road. So everybody had to walk by this this image of this horror of the Roman power. And, And so... This is not a happy place, you know. To, you're supposed to honor the king, and you're supposed to pray for the king. And we even do that, you know, on a regular basis here. We pray for uh, our, our political leaders and political leaders of the world. But the good news is, that's not. We're we're not ultimately Americans, you know. Ultimately, we're in the kingdom of God. It's really awesome. Our king is perfect. He never tweets stupid things. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't want to step on your political toes, but it's a little embarrassing to me, okay? (laughs) But God, you know, God's word is true and righteous and good. You know, and he is our king. We pray for and we honor whatever political leaders we have currently, but we are not of this world. Hallelujah. This is so exciting. He proclaims it. You can be above this world. You can be a part of a whole different organization. Uh, here's some words on that. This is Hebrews 11.13, uh, talking about the even the, the old saints. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here's Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. You know, it's really awesome to be an American citizen. Uh, around the world, it's a coveted thing. It truly is. But you know what? It, it, it's nothing compared to being a citizen of heaven, to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And you can be in the worst situation in the world Utter poverty, living at Stone Age level. And I, I've been there. I've been the way, way backwoods of India. And I've seen people there who love Jesus. And they're a part of the best kingdom ever. And they, you know, you can keep your stinking green card. Your stinking American citizenship. It's unimportant if you're a member of God's eternal kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is the glorious good news. You know, yes, we're good American citizens, and I'm very proud of America. I love it. But, and I fly the flag uh, for sometimes. <laughs> Actually, right now, we're out of the flag. So, but I have flown the flag many times, <laughs> right? But I'm not of this world. This is the exciting proclamation, come to God's kingdom. And, and notice he says, you come, there's more on that, by the way. Uh, real, no, I'm, I'm real low on time. I'm just taking my word for it. There's a lot in the New Testament on that issue. How do we get there? The entrance is through repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. It's the same theme of John the Baptist. Turn from your sin. What is he saying? Salvation comes to us when we realize our sinfulness and we want change. We want to turn from it. We turn from our selfish, sinful lifestyle and we believe in the good news completely. We become obsessed with how good God is. A gospel state of mind is full confidence in Jesus Christ and a full awareness of our need of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have full confidence in God. And then we close with two examples, the, the le- next part of the text, examples of people who heard the message and responded in an in amazing way. I'm talking, of course, about, first of all, uh, Andrew and Simon. Let's read the, the text again. So, by the way, 14 and 15 are sort of a summary Of Jesus's ministry that kind of characterized his ministry as he was going along and here he is passing along the sea of Galilee this is a very big freshwater lake interestingly it's 500 feet below sea level it's like 12 miles long and in the widest place it's something like five to seven miles wide so he's passing along this sea, and he sees somebody, like I said, about a year ago he knew these guys, he interacted with them when they were followers of John the Baptist, at least we know Andrew was a follower, a, a disciple of John the Baptist, and he sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This is kind of a, there's this verb that says they kind of cast it around, it's like a, a small net, they would tie rocks to the side of it, and it would go down, and then they'd have a rope, you know, and cinch it up and catch the fish, uh, and they're there casting their net into the sea, and he says, follow me, come after me, so we have these ordinary guys, you know, who is Jesus going to call into this kingdom, who does he personally call, you know, clearly he goes to the academic centers, or, you know, the chief of businesses, Clearly he goes to the top of the top. No, he's out looking along the sea for the you know the workmen, the ordinary people who, who come. And he says, come after me. Come after me. And it's a beautiful thing that they hear him and respond to him. Andrew and Peter, they leave their nets. It's almost as if, honestly, we don't know exactly, but it just says they were casting their nets. He comes, they just like, walk away they don't even bring the net back in you know we don't know for sure but it's that immediate look at the word here immediately they left their nets and followed him what's going on here well remember the beginning i said god created with the command of his voice and when god speaks to us he changes our hearts his his speech is powerful and uh the Bible actually says faith comes by the, the word of Christ. And that word is the word for speech. It's not logos, it's the other one. Um, <laughs> I mean, through the speech of Christ, faith comes. And he speaks to these guys and the call is powerful. And they respond, and yes, you know, that sounds like an awesome deal. I'm going to leave everything I know my whole economic situation here, and I'm going to follow you. You're talking about a kingdom I can't see. <laughs> but it's this miracle of faith where they believe that he is the Savior and he is the king of kings. And so uh, he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. The, Mark has this whole language, ESV translates it very well, make you become it's a process. They're going to learn this really over their entire lives. They will learn how to become fishers of men. It's not, it's not instantaneous. They're going to learn how to follow Jesus um, and obey him in that way. It's interesting. In First Corinthians 9, let's turn here with me. First Corinthians 9. I think this is an interesting parallel passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Quite a long passage, and it's kind of thick and and important, but I want you to think about it. Make you become fishers of men. You, know, you and I are are called to, to faith in the gospel. Our, our sins are forgiven through the work of Jesus. He's living in victory. We're called to be a part of his kingdom, and a part of that is to to be fishers of men to bring other people into the kingdom. That's our, we always have this hidden agenda. No matter what relationship we have with people, we'd love to bring them into this. You know, you can rise above all of this. You can be a member of God's kingdom. And here's what Paul says in, again, First Corinthians 9, uh, where, where was it, 19 and following. It says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he's he's a fisherman and he was probably one of the best. He says, "To the Jews I became as a Jew." He's talking about like putting the right bait on your hook if you stretch the metaphor. "To the Jews I became he he doesn't offend them in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as though under the law, though not being myself under the law." So like people who are keeping the law, he doesn't want to offend them. He he could. He's free to like, you know, throw off all the laws. He could go have a ham sandwich right in front of him. You know, he could have the hamburger with the cheese on it, which is a no-no in Jewish law. Uh, But he doesn't. He gives it up because he wants to win them. He doesn't want to offend them. He's a fisherman. Uh, though not uh, being myself under the law that I might win those under the law to those outside the law I became as one outside the law uh, he's careful to say not being being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ in other words he's, he's not becoming immoral which actually probably some people have interpreted that to mean he said no 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 I still keep the law of Christ I still stay with Christian morality but I don't I don't make a big deal if the guy's having a beer and smoking. It's you know, I'm trying to win him to Christ. I'm not going to make a big deal over his lifestyle issues uh, because you don't get saved by quitting your lifestyle issues. You get saved by faith in Christ. Anyway, moving along, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I love that language because it should make us kind of uncomfortable. Wow, you're really into this fishing thing, right? The Lord has made him to become a fisher of men. I'm trying to save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might that I may share with them in its blessings. Again. A beautiful example of somebody who really followed this word of Jesus. So finally, let's close with this. We have James and John. And it says they're out mending their nets there. They're working with their nets. uh, And and who's with them in the boat? Their father. Their father's right in there. It's family business. And they also have hired hands in there. You know, servants uh, that were employees, essentially. And they hear the call of Jesus, and they leave their father. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they leave their father. And and this is profound, because both uh, Simon and Andrew, and now James and John show us that there is a cost to following Jesus. And sometimes the cost is as high as leaving your family. You know, because your family might say, Come on, we, we don't believe that, we... You know we for example, we've been Catholics, we're Catholics. you can't go there because you're leaving the tradition of our family, and yet you you think you know Jesus is calling me to this biblical faith and I'm going to live for Jesus, and your mom or dad kind of put this huge guilt trip on you you're like, oh, you're leaving the family culture and you're ashamed to us well, James and John had to leave their father to follow Jesus, and here's a good uh Uh, quote I have on on that I think really summarizes it very well it's this word immediately notice both times it says immediately verse 18 and verse 20 and immediately, immediately they did it without hesitation this is a work of God in their heart Uh, Mark uses this word here in in so doing Mark emphasizes the importance of responding speedily to Jesus' call to discipleship the kingdom of God has come. One must drop everything because entering the kingdom is more important than even life itself. Peter and Andrew, therefore, did not even gather in the net before they left it in the sea. And then, of course, James and John actually left their father. Uh, Jesus said this in a, on a couple of occasions. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 26. Hard words, but he's saying we got to get over ourselves, our own pleasure, and if our family, if they're holding us back from obeying Jesus, we have to act like we hate them. It's not like he's not saying you go treat them badly or, you know, uh, Uh, cornflakes in their bed or something like that. Uh, (laughs) No, it's not like that. He's saying comparison to Jesus. You know, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I am not going to allow you to keep me from answering the call of Jesus. And immediately, I'm going to jump on board and be a part of this wonderful kingdom that Jesus has called me to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to hear Your precious word today to believe the gospel and repent of our petty selfishness. Lord, we struggle with just on a level of just our pleasures and affections that call us away from serving you and cause discord and anger and fighting in, in our lives, our homes, our relationships. Lord, give us more and more repentance and more and more faith in you and obedience to you. And Lord, help us to hear this call that you are calling us to become fishers of men. Lord, we want to be your good and faithful servants. Through Jesus we pray this. Amen.